It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Get Over It, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for Exceptional 21st Century Living. Folks, we're going to have a very interesting show today. We're speaking with Mark Ireland, and we're talking about his newest book, The Persistence of the Soul, Medium Spirit Visitations and Afterlife Communication. And you know, this time of year, all of this is very important because the information just flows through as the veil is lessened between the two worlds. So sit back, listen, and um, then do your own investigation. This is going to be quite an interesting show. This man has a very interesting past. Now, the information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that's been holding you back. But you guys know I always ask, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth. I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I'm the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, and that's moniquechapman.com. And I invite you to like and follow me on Facebook and LinkedIn. My guest today, Mark Erlin, is the co-founder of Helping Parents Heal, an organization with more than 24,000 members that assist bereaved parents worldwide. 
He has participated in mediumship research studies conducted by the University of Arizona and the University of Virginia, and he is currently and he currently operates a medium certification program. He's also the author of Soul Shift, and he lives in the state of Washington. And you can check him out at his website, and that is maxarlinauthor.com. I'm sorry, markarlinauthor.com, M-A-R-K-I-R-E-L-A-N-D-A-U-T-H-O-R, all one word, dot com. Welcome, Mark. Hey, Monique. It's good to be here. How are you doing? Great. It's good to have you here. Very interesting um, book that you uh, wrote. Uh, you seem to have a lot of, um, well, not a lot, but the deaths that are in your family, you chronicled and, you know, starting, you know, heartbreakingly, I guess, with your uh, son that passed away. But before we uh, delve into that, give us a little back information about your background and how you came to this place of writing about the afterlife. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a <laughs> uh, unique story in that I grew up with a father who was a prominent psychic and medium, uh, working mainly in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, so kind of ahead of the curve in many ways, and a pioneer, so to speak. Um, I grew up with, you know, the psychic phenomena occurring in the household on a daily basis, where as a kid, you couldn't get away with anything. And, uh, but also saw my father, both in his non-denominational church, demonstrate uh, spirit communication, uh, and then also providing psychic demonstrations in secular venues, TV shows, and things like that, with spirit apparent, uh, occasionally popping through delivering uh, specific information and messages to people in the audience or congregation at the church that really showed me at a young age, like, wow, there really is more than just this physical existence. And so it gave me a confidence in there being a, a spiritual dimension to life, even though I didn't necessarily understand it completely. But as I grew into being an adult, I didn't really take the same path as my father. I took a more conventional one, going to the university, getting a degree, going into the business world, getting married at a young age and having a couple of boys. So um, I was, you know, I, I guess none of us wants to be our parent exactly. And even though my dad mm -hmm. said I was very psychic, I just, you know, took that other more conventional path. Uh -huh. But it was um, when my youngest son turned 18, about three months after that, um, he passed unexpectedly while hiking the mountains behind our home, uh, the McNall Mountains in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, that kind of shook me back into this field and to look more at my dad's work because a lot of folks at that point, you're in shock if your child passes. I don't care what your belief system is. Mm -hmm. Tough, tough thing. Uh, but at least I had that knowledge and it wasn't just blind faith. It was having, you know, witness firsthand this, the communication from the other side um, that to me was indisputable. And so I drew back into it um, and started exploring it and, and took on my own journey. Um, and that resulted in my first book, Soul Shift, Finding Where the Dead Go. But I, I'd say the very first thing that happened, the first two things, the first one was I wanted a direct connection a day or two after Brandon passed. And I went into a darkened room, which was actually my walk-in closet with no light on, sat down and tried to meditate. And while I'm not a great meditator in this instance, I was able to clear my mind. And I saw my son's face go by 
like uh, surrounded with he was glowing and, and happy and mm -hmm. joyful i could see that and feel that and then mm -hmm. immediately following that was a cross with a oval loop at the top and while i'd seen those i didn't really know what they symbolized so when i was done me being the analyst brain went to google what that was and i uh -huh. found out that it's a the Ankh, or the oldest cross of human history from the Egyptians, dated back about 5,000 years, with the lower portion of the cross representing physical life and the oval loop representing eternal life. So I got kind of a coded message that told me my son was in the afterlife and he was joyful, which um, if I had already known what that symbol meant, it would have been different because then I could have blamed my subconscious mind as giving me something to make me feel better, but instead I had to decode the message. And then um, I'd say the next thing that was substantial that, that happened was, I think it was about three days after Brandon passed, I heard from my uncle. Uh, now my uncle had similar abilities to my father and my father had been gone about 12 years by this point. And my uncle connected with me by cell phone. I was in the mortuary at the time making arrangements for, for everything. And he said, Mark, um, I just wanted to let you know something. You know, last night I tried to connect and I couldn't get anything. But this morning, um, your father came to me and he said he was there when Brandon passed. Brandon was a little confused at first, but your dad helped him cross over and adjust. And uh -huh. then the other piece, then he shared the feel good message, which was, you know, Brandon says you were the best parents he ever could have had. But following on the heels of that was, uh, your dad said Brandon's death was caused by a lack of oxygen in his bloodstream that causes heart to fail. And I hadn't had the autopsy results yet. We didn't know the cause of death. Two days later, I talked to the physician who had conducted the autopsy, and she said that uh, Brandon had suffered a severe asthma attack that drew his blood oxygen levels down to a point causing cardiac arrest. So that was wow. really the second thing that started me where my uncle gave me the cause of death before the autopsy. Mm-hmm. That, that is really fascinating that, you know, you get the validation you know, and you didn't know that it was coming, but you received the validation. I do want to back up a minute, though, and talk about your dad, Dr. Richard Ireland. Um, why don't you share the audience what he did and how he eventually impacted your life, even though you didn't plan on going down that path? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> well, he grew up in uh, rural Ohio. Um, and I guess he grew up, he was born in 32. So this would have been in the 30s and 40s. Um, he, at the age of five, he went in for corrective surgery to the Columbus, Ohio Children's Hospital because he was born cross-eyed. And um, after the surgery, they had his eyes cupped and bandaged and they had him actually tied down to a bed so he wouldn't mess with the bandages. A nurse came by and felt sorry for him and told him that she'd let him out of the bed if he promised not to mess with the bandages. He agreed. So she went on her walk. And when she came back, he was the wall and catching it. And she thought, oh, my God, he's taken the bandages off. But he hadn't. So that was probably even more disturbing to her. Uh, then mm -hmm. she pulled in some doctors to show them what was going on. And they tried a few you know, random experiments uh, with him. They put him in his bed and then had one doctor at the foot of the bed and another at the doorway and asked, who's standing in front of you right now? And he got it right every time. So that was kind of the family's first um, discovery of the fact that he had this uh, clairvoyance, extreme clairvoyance. And um, fast forwarding, I think he was probably 12 or 13 when he, you know, he'd had these experiences and 
made predictions and things, and it was not accepted by his family, at least his father and his older brothers. Um, but he was usually right, um, but they didn't like it. Uh, I remember one story where uh, where they lived, they had no telephone and no, you know, no communication method. But uh, his grandfather, who lived, you know, X number of miles away, my dad would always say, hey, grandpa's coming. And it got to the point where the meals were actually planned around when he would say that because the grandparents would show up within a reasonable period of time of that. At one time, my dad said, you know, grandpa's coming and his beard's cut off. And his brother says, you're crazy, crazy dick. There's no way, you know, grandpa loves that beard. He'd never shave it off. And grandpa showed up and the beard was gone. And it seems grandpa had been making taffy and his beard got into the taffy. So he had to cut it off. Oh, wow. So that was kind of the, you know, the upbringing. And then I think at the age 12, 13, he stumbled into a spiritualist church for the first time. Now, this was two weeks after his best friend had died in a car accident. And uh, he and the buddy had been playing in a creek um, the night before the boy died. And uh, yeah. the boy's mother had called him to come home so that they could go to a theater that night to the movies and they were going to go out to dinner. And uh, he says, I'll see you tomorrow, Dick, because my dad, as a kid, went by Dick instead of Richard. Mm -hmm. And my dad just blurted out, no, tomorrow you'll be dead. Now, he didn't mean to say oh, that. Wow. He just came out. Mm -hmm. The next morning, my dad was woken up by somebody throwing rocks against his window. And he, and then it was other kids that had discovered that the friend had died the night before in a car accident. And we're kind of blaming my dad, not understanding that he, you know, he he had just forecasted this. It wasn't anything that he had anything to do with. So back to my dad stumbling into the spiritualist church, he goes in and a minister there um, put uh, tape and blindfolds over his eyes, asked for people to write questions on pieces of paper and send them up. So when my dad got there, he said, what should I write? And the attendant just said, just write a message, please, and then sign your name, which he did. He sent that up, and when his turn came, the, the minister, who was a psychic medium, said, uh, Richard Ireland, um, and he says, yes. And then he said, well, I've got a young man here who, who recently crossed over, and he gives me a secret code name, and the name is Paisy. Well, my dad and this kid always had these secret code names in the creek, and the kid's name code name was Paisy. Mm -hmm. So my dad was really impressed by this. And then he talked to the minister afterward. The minister went on to say, one day you'll be doing what I do. And so he mentored my dad. And then years later, I think my dad was probably only, you know, 20, 21 years old or whatever. He received his ordination papers from the NSAC, National uh -huh. Spiritualist Association of Churches, and then became a, a traveling minister. Um, and then doing demonstrations and then serving at, at a few different churches they moved him around to. And then growing uh, in 1960, he founded his own non-denominational church, the University of Life, which was not affiliated with the NSAC. He, uh, even though he was ordained in that organization, he just, uh, I think he wanted something with less dogma even than that, so that people could form their own understanding uh, based on their own personal experiences. So he would just present and share messages and and teachings, but didn't try and really ram specific dogma down people's throats. And that church was very successful. And he also uh, branched out into doing um, demonstrations in the secular world on, on TV. He became a counselor to Mae West, who I met when I was 19 years old. That had to be exciting. Yeah, I got to tour her apartment in Beverly Hills um, back then, and it still looked like it was 1920s. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and um, and then um, I believe he counseled the Eisenhower family as well because I have a card from Mamie Eisenhower dated 1956, the year my parents got married, congratulating my father on behalf of the president and her on getting married. Oh wow! Uh, so, so that was pretty cool. So that that was kind of you know how, how his life unfolded and and then growing up. Um, then my parents actually split up when I was 10 or 11 years old. So I didn't see my father as often then, um, but I would take friends to see his demonstrations. And, and if anyone listening wants to see uh, an example of what he would do during a psychic demonstration, I have a clip from him on the Steve Allen show in 1971. There's a link on the front page of my website you can find. And again, that's markirelandauthor.com. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um you delve into so much with spirit communication and all. So talk to us first about spirit visitations. Now, I, I need to share with you that my husband's son passed away about it. His oldest son passed away about a year ago. And it is, I mean, as a stepmom, it rocked me. And I can't even still to this day imagine what my husband and his ex-wife are going through, you know, losing that child. You being one that has lost a child, how can you put things in perspective and actually recognize spirit visitation, either from a deceased child of ours or anyone else? Um, well, there's a number of ways. I think, first off, when you go through that kind of uh, very traumatic experience, it, you have to take time to grieve. And there's a number of things that help you in your healing process. And that includes support from friends and family, meeting people who have been through the same thing and developing relationships with them because they can relate to you, um, coming to a point where you can provide service to others because that comes back to heal you, maybe not immediately, but, you know, in due time, um, uh -huh. forgiving yourself of any guilt you may hold because a lot of parents will say, I should have done this or I should have done that, when in reality, that's not necessarily true in most cases releasing uh, anger and uh, forgiving people who you may be holding responsible, whether that may be a doctor or someone responsible for an accident or whatever, because really it's just coming back to hurt you. And then the final piece is, I think at least, you know, beyond therapy and things like that would be to um, be open to evidence for there being an afterlife. Um, and there's a number of different phenomena that that are out there that you can read about in books or even experience directly that deal with that. One of which is mediumship, which is kind of my more my area of expertise. But additionally, you have the near-death experience phenomena. You have ADCs, which are called after-death communications, and those are more than one-on-one -on -one experiences. Um, and I'll give you an example of one. Now, we've been blessed with many, many of these, but not everyone will have them, or at least as often or as tangible. Um, so you have to, I guess, come to a point where you are are looking for the subtle. You can quiet your mind enough to detect them and, and believe them to be real. Uh, I think the easiest way for people early on is maybe through a dream visit. And one method that worked for me would be to pray, send in a prayer for way, a request for a visit um, while asleep and to pray to be able to remember it. And I've had uh -huh. at least one extremely vivid, more than waking reality, vividness to it visit with my son Brandon that way. I think the most profound experience we ever had, um, it, it goes back to six months after Brandon's path, passing. But it, it's funny because just two weeks after Brandon passed, I visited an intuitive and she said, I believe you're going to see Brandon 
at your bedside in about six months. Well, six months later. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We had a scheduled to go on a cruise to celebrate Brandon's pending graduation from high school. But since he wasn't physically there with us, we took our older son and Brandon's best buddy, Stu. So uh, before leaving for the trip, we loaned Brandon's bass guitar because Brandon was a bassist. We loaned it to a gentleman named James Linton, who was a musician. Uh-huh. Now, we, we'd met James because he was actually on the mountain hiking the day Brandon was there and he tried to help, but he was there too late. But he had left an online uh, comment on an online obituary saying that he was there. And if we wanted to meet him, he gave us the contact info. So we did meet him. We became friends. Here it was six months later. We we're going on this cruise and we loaned him Brandon's bass guitar. So Jim was in the studio working on some new songs. He was a guitar player, composer and singer, but he didn't have a bass. So we loaned him that. Anyhow, uh, seven days pass. We come back from the cruise. My wife goes into our master bedroom, sits on the bench in front of our bed, and suddenly feels Brandon's presence there. She knows it's him and sees him as a shadow figure out of her peripheral vision. Uh That's remarkable enough. But the very next day we get a call from James and James says, Susie, I have something to tell you, but I don't know how to share this. Um, He said, well, I was worried. She thought maybe he'd broken the bass, but he hadn't. He said, Uh I was working on this new song. And while I was doing that, I felt another presence in the studio and I saw a shadow figure out of my peripheral vision. And then I saw flashes of white light. And I thought, I'm just hallucinating. So he said that he went and got water. He got something to eat. He took a shower. But each time he came back, it got stronger. And then finally, he he acquiesced and said, okay, Brandon, what do you want? And then at that point, he felt guided, pushed strongly to change the lyrics to this song he was working on, as well as the bass line. And then he said the culmination of that was... Um, a song called the other side he said it's the best song i've ever written but i didn't write it Uh, so for him to report almost identical experience to my wife susie the next day is pretty phenomenal so i would uh, say that's that's an example of an adc or an after-death communication but a very compelling one and one that's probably pretty rare uh, well talking about after-death communication talk to us about the houdini code Sure. So Harry Houdini, as most people know, was a famous musician back in the uh, early 20th century. Um, And initially, I think he had an interest in mediums and afterlife. uh, But he I think he felt like he got tricked by a couple of fraudulent mediums, whether they were or not, I don't know. But because of that, he kind of turned and then he wanted to to debunk all mediums. So he spent a lot of his life trying to debunk mediums, including his own trickery to make them look bad in cases where they shouldn't have. But near the end of his life, he he thought of developing a code um, to share with his wife. And then he told her her name was Beatrice. He said, Beatrice, if anyone gives you this code, you'll know that that it's it's truly me, Harry Houdini. And, you know, that I I went on uh, and I still exist. So after he died, a medium named Arthur Ford, who was a very prominent medium of the 20th century, did deliver the code successfully to her. Um, but then, and it was reported in the New York Times, 
but then after that, a bunch of debunkers came out of the woodwork and claimed, well, you two were in cahoots or, oh, the code mm -hmm. was commonly known or just a bunch of excuses to dismiss what he had done, which was rather remarkable. Uh -huh. uh, so if you look it up today, it'll say it's never been solved, but it actually was solved by Arthur Ford. Um, and if anyone wanted to read about that, there was a book by Alan Spraggett called, I think it was called Arthur Ford, The Man Who Talked With the Dead. Hmm. Okay. Well, The Man Who Talked With the Dead. And who's that by again? Alan Spraggett. It's an old book. It's out of print, but you might be able to find a used copy of it if someone's interested in reading more about that. It's really Thanks. about the life of Arthur Ford. So the the Houdini code experiment was mentioned in there in detail, in greater detail than I just described. But um, if someone wanted to know more about that, that's, you know, a good example. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, aside from the ADCs that I reported, we, you know, that took me on a path of meeting some top mediums. Um, the first one I met was actually Alison Dubois before the show Medium got big. Uh -huh. And this was a rather synchronistic way of meeting her because I had been watching Three weeks after Brandon passed, I was watching a, a news clip on the NBC affiliate in Phoenix about um, a mediumship uh, study being done at the University of Arizona, where the medium was blinded from contact with the sitters. And sitters are people who receive a reading. The sitters were in one area and the medium was another. Uh, they And the sitter couldn't speak directly to the medium and the medium couldn't talk to the sitter. But there was a proxy, a third party researcher who would ask questions of the sitters, I'm sorry, of the medium. Uh -huh. And then the medium would have to answer. And in this case, it was Alison Dubois. And she was doing a great job with a lot of specifics. And then they debriefed with the sitters at the end. And pretty much everything she said was right on task. And they weren't just generalities like your grandmother loves you, but specific stuff, you know, like favorite foods or of the deceased person that they like to go to Las Vegas and gamble and things like that. So I was really impressed and I thought, gee, I'd love to get a reading from her and I'd love to be in that lab someday. And little did I know both things would happen. The very next day, I get a call from a man named Jerry Conser, who had been friends with my father. And he said, um, Mark, look, I know what you've been through and I know someone who may be able to help you. Her name's Allison Dubois and here's a phone number you can call to get a reading with her. Uh -huh. So that, that was pretty wild. <laughs> I felt my dad yeah. was pulling strings from the other side to, to take care of me. And then mm. coinciding with Allison's reading, another kind of remarkable synchronicity happened. So because she was even then before the medium show came out on network TV, she was had a big following because she was very good. And um, so my I didn't get the reading till August that year. And, you know, when I saw the clip it was February. So fast forward to August, two weeks before I get the reading, a gentleman hands me a box and it was someone who had known my dad. And I opened the box and it had basically a, a manuscript in there of typewritten pages, all eight and a half by 11 called your psychic potential, a guide to psychic development. Uh -huh. And I said, well, where did you get this? And he goes, well, your dad gave it to me before he died because you were out of state at the time. And I said, well, it's been 12 years since he passed. Why are you giving this to me now? And he goes, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to. Well, two weeks later, I have the reading with Allison. And one of the first things she says to me is, your father's here and he's showing me a book, but I feel it's his book and he's handing it to you to take forward. Does that make sense? I'm like, yeah, I think I get that. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, and I actually later got the book published in 2011. So um, those are some of the early experiences that I had both direct, you know, after the communications and, and with mediums. Um, and then I, I had three more meetings with uh, mediums 
that are recorded in my first book, and the last of which was at the University of Arizona when I was a test sitter for a medium, Lori Campbell, Under Blinded Conditions, that was uh, recorded for a Discovery Channel excerpt. People could see that clip, too, on my website. It's on the media page. Okay. Um, so that kind of dovetails right into certified mediums. You certify mediums. What is that process like? Sure. Well, the full reason that I do this is it goes back to when my first book came out. I suddenly got flooded with people saying, hey, who's a good medium I can see? Who's a good medium I can see? Well, at that point, I knew a half a dozen, but most of them were like celebrity mediums like Allison and others. Mm -hmm. And they were so popular, they had long wait lists, some like up to two years. And mm -hmm. they and since they a lot of them did nothing. I mean, that was their career and they didn't do anything else you know, to earn a living. They charged more than some people could afford. So I'm not going to be judgmental about what people charge or don't charge. But anyhow, I thought there must be more people out there with this ability at a high level that don't have a following and they're kind of undiscovered talent. So they would probably have more availability quicker when people really need it. And maybe they'd charge less. So I put it out there. Um, I developed some protocols after participating in a mediumship research uh, initiative by Dr. Emily Williams Kelly at the University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies. She had been doing one. And then I kind of took the, her methodology and, and looked at that. And then I also went to my friend, Tricia Robertson, who is the president, former president of the Scottish Society of Psychical Research and formulated my own protocols. And I've been mm -hmm. modifying them to make them harder really over the years. I started this in 2014. And as of today, what a medium has to do is uh, they have to do five blinded readings via Zoom. So just like right now, we're, we don't have video on, so they have to do a reading with no video. And they're uh -huh. only given the first name of the sitter, nothing but the first name of the sitter. So they have to give them a reading. It's recorded. And then at the end, the sitter has to um, transcribe that into written format and break it into individual statements. Uh, for example, you know, let's say the medium said, I... I have a son here that crossed over. Uh, his his name starts with an A, and his favorite food was pizza. So then the sitter has to break those into initial uh, individual statements and then grade them as correct, incorrect, or indeterminable. And then uh -huh. if they feel it's warranted, they can assign extra credit. So let's just say the first statement, I have a son who passed over. Uh, let's say in this instance, it is correct. So the, the sitter would mark that correct. Then the next statement, his name starts with an A, Aaron. His name is Aaron. That's correct. Uh, and I'll give that a bonus because that's pretty good. Um, but we have two levels of bonus, a two point and a five point. So let's say the sitter says, I'll give a two point bonus for that one because she didn't get the name, but she got the initial. Uh -huh. And then the next one, the favorite food was pizza. Yeah, that's true, too. So I'll give a two point bonus for that. Let's say the medium said, OK, I have a son here that crossed over. His name is Aaron. And his favorite food was pizza with bell peppers, onions, and anchovies. Okay. Well, if the name is Aaron, that's a five-point bonus. And that specificity uh -huh. of the detail is worth a five-point bonus. So that's kind of how it works. So we take basically the entire reading. We grade it by the percent of accuracy comparing co correct statements to incorrect. We set indeterminables on the side. Those would be like future predictions or things that for some reason the sitter can't verify because they may involve somebody they don't know or they can't reach. Um, we set those aside unless there's an inordinate percentage of those. So we kind of limit the indeterminables to 33%. If they exceed that, anything over that's going to be counted as incorrect. 
because mm-hmm. reading shouldn't it, it needs to be to be an evidential reading it needs to have a higher percentage of accuracy than that so at the end of the day the medium to pass has to score an average over the five readings conducted this way of 75 or better and a minimum accuracy of 65%. So theoretically, they could be 65% accurate, have two five-point bonuses and get 75, and then just barely pass. Or they could be 75% accurate and then pass. Uh, I've had people score in the high 90s, um, and I've had people squeak by too. Um, but I have probably five to eight people that have scored you know, in 90%, 90 or points or higher which is the combination of the accuracy and those bonus points that are really valuable because those are the specific hits that are highly meaningful to the sitter. So um, after they are certified, do you help present them to the world or are they basically on their own? No, what I did was I uh, developed a website to host all of these. So today I have 41 mediums over nine years that have been certified that have achieved these standards. And each one has their own page. So someone who's looking for a medium, uh, again, you can never guarantee or promise somebody a good reading, but your Mm -hmm. odds are greatly enhanced by someone who has been through this process. And I know is credible because they did this, you know, with with blinded readings. Um, So this website, uh, you know, you can look, if you want to look by region, state, country, you can find people that way. Like if you wanted to do it in person, that might be helpful, but otherwise, most all of them will do readings by Zoom. So it doesn't really matter where they are. You just go through the list and see who resonates with you and pick somebody. I don't make any money off this. In fact, I spent all my own money developing the website, spending the time developing the protocols, the testing. I do have a volunteer assistant who helps schedule and then helps me grade the readings. But mm-hmm. this is all out of my own pocket. It's a public service, uh, really, to help people in grief uh, find um a good resource because I know there are some charlatans out there. I don't think there are as many as people think, um, but there are some, and I want people to avoid those as well as people who are a bit deluded about their abilities and think they're better than they are. When it comes to dealing with people in grief, you really need someone who knows what they're doing and, and has this yes. ability at a high level. Yes. And anything less than that, it just, um, presents disaster. Um, yeah. And and the website I mentioned can be found. There's a link to it on my site. So it, just my site's kind of a one-stop shop for not only my books and my media, but also the Helping Parents Heal website. There's a link to that. There's a link to my dad's videos that I described. There's a link to the certified medium website and links to other helpful things as well. Yes. So thank you for sharing the website because that was going to be my next question. But my uh, my last question to you is um, about your sister, Robin. Um, you dedicate a very long chapter in your book to her and many lessons learned. Could you tell us a bit about Robin and what she's taught you? Yeah. Well, this really goes back to that Houdini code question that you asked. Because mm-hmm. she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Uh, this was 2006. Actually, was, I think she was. Uh, it was uh, discovered in 2005, but she was going. She was going to pass in 2006. Leading mm-hmm. up to that, I had an idea for an experiment, and I asked her if she'd be willing to participate or want to participate to try and help other people um, in the future to have confidence in the afterlife. She agreed to that. And what I started with was the idea from the Houdini code. And I thought to myself, well, what was wrong with the way Harry Houdini conducted his experiment? What caused people to come out of the woodwork and say that someone was in cahoots with him? Um, And I thought, well, the reason was because any living person knew what the code was. 
So I thought, well, what if my sister wrote something on a piece of paper, put it in a sealed envelope, and no one knew what it was? And and then we sought out medium responses after her passing to see if someone could get the code. And that's mm-hmm. really what that's really what it was about. She, you know, the last few days I she wrote this, she put it in a sealed envelope, she initialed the outside. Um, I had developed a friendship with a, a neuroscientist, uh, Dr. Don Watson. I talked to him about the idea and he helped develop protocols for conducting it. He asked me to send him the envelope so no one could accuse me of opening it. So I did that. Um, and then we went out to a, a number of different mediums and sought responses. We collected those. And then, you know, a number of months later, we did open the envelope and compare the results. I don't want to give it away, though, because uh, it's I think it's one of the better chapters of the books and more intriguing chapters. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would say, you know, I learned a lot from it in terms of what you can expect or how you would want to format um, an experiment of this nature mm-hmm. so that it has the best chance for success. Um, and I would say, you know, some, something that you have to understand how mediums work. Um, some of them get messages visually, some are clear audience, so they might get words here or there, like a word or two or some sort of, um, um, audio communication, but usually uh-huh. that's more in their mind, not necessarily through the ear. Some will get it through the ear, but that's pretty rare, more in their mind. So when you, you take those things into consideration, you think, have to think, well, you got to, you need a, a message that's put together in a way where that the mediums are going to be able to clearly get that through an image or just a word or two, as opposed to a string of words or, you know, a, a long sentence or something like that. But, but with, with that said, I would say the it's an encouraging chapter. I'll leave it at that. It is a very encouraging chapter and folks is well worth the, the read is well worth the, the book. If you just read that chapter um, by itself. Mark, I've really enjoyed our time together today. Could you leave us with a pearl of wisdom for the audience, please? Yeah, I think, you know, whether it's someone in grief or someone who's just discouraged in life, I would say we're all here for a purpose and we all have a path. So hang in there, you know, Um, you're loved. Um, Even if you don't feel like you're loved right now, or maybe you don't have people in your life who are supportive, hang in there and get through this. It's, It's worth it because it's actually a privilege to be here. It's a challenging world. It, it presents us with suffering and um, obstacles, but those are the things that grow us and refine us into being more than we were when we came here. So it's worth seeing it through and hanging in there. And um, I think if you could develop, you know, positive half glass full outlook, it'll help you too. Um, it's, it's not always easy, but I would just encourage people to just recognize you're here for a reason and a purpose. Okay, well, thank you very much for that. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. And I'm quite sure the audience does too, as we have um, explored this wonderful subject. And everyone, please remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of discovering the persistence of souls. But the blessings, light, love to all. Agape. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.